Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. And so we want to just kind of finish off our series that we've kind of started uh, about two weeks ago. And as I was just thinking about the fifth year anniversary, I was thinking about back to when uh, our family and just the team that started the church were back in Michigan and I And the whole church came out to pray for us and to be able to just say bye to everybody. It, it was really heart-wrenching uh, as some of these people I've known for almost uh, 20 years. And many people, their lives have been transformed. I was able to see them as a college student and as a working adult and as a married couple. I'm marrying them, seeing their kids, uh, just uh, dedicating their kids. And so it was just one of those moments where it was very moving. But I just remember it was so crazy as soon as we got to the airport because we had to move all these luggage and also boxes for about 20 people. And so it, it, it was very, very frustrating. It was, it, was, it was chaotic. We didn't know what was going to happen and what we were going to do. So let me show you some pictures of things that are happening here. Uh, if you look over here, this was uh, some of our boxes and some of our luggage that we had, and it was, it was chaotic. And you could tell just even in the background that it was still dark because it was about like five or six in the morning. And so that was, that was really crazy. And then once again, we were at uh, another airport, and so we had to move all the stuff back into the carts and, you know, pick it up. And it was crazy. And just, I mean, this is my daughter, but these, this was our stuff, you know, <laughs> the stuff that we brought because we knew that uh, God has called us indefinitely here. And so it was one of those things where you come to that realization um, that this is for real, that we're going to actually be in Hong Kong and start this church. And there were a lot of things running through my mind. And it was exciting because as soon as we got on the ground, we were just excited to share the gospel. We really were motivated by this idea that as God transformed our lives, that he can transform anyone's life, even people here in Asia and here in Hong Kong in particular. And so what we did was that we actually began to meet together because uh, we arrived in July for about a month. We were actually meeting together on these pre-launch uh, gatherings. So before we actually officially started, we had these pre-launches. And here's a picture of one that you will notice here that it was a small group of people, but we were worshiping together. And it was uh, we met in so many different places. We're talking about we met in clubhouses. We met in different rooms. We also met in canteens where people would eat. I mean, it, it was crazy, all the different places we were able to meet. And then what began to happen was that in, in September 13th, which is five years from today, exactly today, we started off our first inaugural, as it was our inaugural service. And so this was, uh, we rented out an auditorium in one of the universities and we were uh, able to just have a worship together. And, and it, it, you know, we're doing the one thing even five years ago. There we go. It, it didn't really rhyme uh, as it does now. But, you know, we have evolved. We have evolved. And then um, these were, this was a group from CUHK, our first live group that started. So this was afterwards. We had a lunch together. And so we're taking some pictures. And then next one, this was from um, Polly Yu because that was another life group that we started. So this was a little bit of what was going on. 
And I want to allude us to this particular next picture here. And uh, this is just a banner of, that we put in that is really, our, this is our mission statement, to transform lost people into Christ's disciples who will then transform the world. And as I think about this, as it's been five years now, uh, that's something that we have been trying to do. We have been, by God's grace, wanting to see lives being transformed, and then from there, equip them so they could transform the world around them. And I, I think this is something that helps me to really recaliber and refocus on why we do what we do. Because when I think about all the baptisms, I think about all the lives that have been transformed. I think about the different experiences that many people in our church had uh, or just as they could remember, even through a life group context. We just see God working in such a powerful way. And that's why we, it's undeniable that it's not us, but it's God who has been doing some of the powerful things. And that's why, as we have always said, was we, as we reflect back on everything that has transpired, uh, we can honestly and genuinely say, and as we're humbled by this, that it's not us, not because we deserve anything, but it purely because of the grace of God. And so as I mentioned, we're going to close out this series, a uh, three-part series that we started two weeks ago, and it's uh, I-Y-K-Y-K. So if you know, you know. And the reason why we started this series is because those of us who have been part of our church, there are a lot of things that we talk about, a lot of things that we have experienced together that sometimes we use certain language or we talk about certain things. And only those who have been part of our church will be able to understand what those words mean or that phrase. And so what we're doing is we're trying to invite, especially to those of you who are new and maybe you're just uh, tuning in right now, we want to be able to invite you and to come and experience what we have experienced and what we're experiencing even now. We want us to do this together. And so that's why, if you remember some of the phrases that we've went over in the last two weeks, the first one uh, that we went over is church doesn't happen uh, just on Sundays because church is not about just on Sundays. For us, church happens in life group, which is our small group ministry. That's why those of you who have not signed up for a life group, we want to encourage you to do that. Also, as our church is growing, it's going to be harder to get to know people and also to be known. So that's where we're encouraging many of you to get involved in a life group ministry in a small group because that's where church will really happen. And if you look at scripture, you see so many of the one another's. And it's hard to do the one another's, love one another, forgive one another, be devoted to one another, care for one another. All these over 50 one another's in the New Testament, it is very difficult to do on a Sunday. But in life group, you can so we want to encourage us with that. The second phrase that we had is that this is why we do what we do. One of the things you'll realize about a church is that we're very purposeful. Everything that we do, there's a reason behind it. Because so often we grew up in a culture where we're just told what to do and we just do it. We don't understand the whys. And that's why for many of us, we go through life and we're like, why am I doing this? Some of you right now, it's easy for you to get bitter and for some of us to get sometimes even frustrated because you don't know why you did it. Some, some of us, is because we're trying to please somebody, but you don't have any conviction of why you're doing what you're doing. And that's why we have been emphasizing so often in our church, you got to know why you do what you do. And the third phrase that we've uh, introduced to you is that leadership is not about a position, but it's about influence. You know, too many people, especially when they go into the church, they want positions and titles because it's really out of their insecurities. 
and I've said this and I'll say it again over and over again, some of the most dangerous people are insecure people with power because they would use that and abuse it for themselves. That's why one of the things that we're trying to raise up in our church are people who are people of influence. You don't need a position. You don't need a title. It's from your life, how you live your life that impacts people around you. And then the last phrase that we have is ministry is not something you switch on and off. You know, so often we think about, oh, only in this moment I'm doing ministry, but our whole life is a ministry unto God because it's a witness to God. So whether we're with one group of people or we're in the context of the church, everything is about learning how to be a servant, how to serve people. We don't just switch it on and off like a light switch. Today, as we close out this series, I want to talk about just one phrase, and it's kind of tied into our fifth year anniversary. And the phrase is simply, is transforming lives and transforming the world. And that's why it goes back to this banner, as I shared with you earlier because this is our mission statement, is to transform lost people into Christ's disciples who will then transform the world. And this is why succinctly we simply say transforming lives and transforming the world. We've been doing this ever since 1996 as we had this great burden and a, a vision to see a church in the 21st century that will look like the first century church that literally transformed the world. And this is the reason why our church got started, HMCC, back in 1996 in the States. This is the reason why five years ago we came to Hong Kong because we wanted to see that life transformation, not only in our lives, but in your life, as well as in this city here and in this region, we want to see lives being transformed for the glory of God. So as we think about this, let me just give us the, uh, just so that we're all on the same page, I want to give you the Cambridge uh, Dictionary definition of the word transform. And it simply says this. It is defined as to change completely the appearance or character of something or someone, especially so that that thing or person is improved. So this idea of completely changing something or someone. And so as we think about that, it is so that what? that the character, who they are, and the things that they struggle with, that will be completely flipped upside down so that now the way they live their lives, they can transform the world around them. And so what we're going to do is as we cover this idea of transforming lives and transforming the world, let me give us just the one thing that I want to talk about today. The one thing is simply this, and it will be on your screen. It says, as we experience transformation, we must take the gospel to every nation, that as we experience genuine work of God, that kind of transformation in our lives, we then have to take this gospel message that has transformed us, that is transforming us. We have to take it to every single nation around us. And so what I want to do at this time is uh, just kind of break it up a little bit because there's things that I'm going to be sharing along the way. So I wanted to at least get us in the right frame of mind. And so what I wanted us to do is to get into a breakout room. And those of you who are just joining us online, you're more than welcome to join one of these rooms. If you just stay on, there's going to be some people who are a host, and they'll be able to plug you into a group. And it will be great just to get to know us and for 
us to get to know you. And so here are the two questions that we want you to kind of talk about and think through. First of all, is share with uh, each other how long you have been a part of our community. So just share about how long. And if you're new, just say, hey, this is my first time. So it's okay. Just share with us how long you've been a part of our community. And then also, was there an event or a person that helped you to experience transformation? So just try to think back to some kind of activity, event that you had, or maybe there was a person that helped you in your life. And the second question is this, what is it about trans or transformation story that inspires others to desire the same experience? So what is it about these transformation stories that we share with one another that inspires us and inspires others to desire the same transformation? So go ahead, and we're gonna give you seven minutes, so just be careful of the time there and make sure that everyone has an opportunity to share. Let's do that right now. Hopefully you had a good time uh, discussing together and these are the kind of transformation stories we wanna to continue to hear as God sovereignly placed people, uh, different events, different things in your life where you can understand the gospel and experience it for yourself. I wanna just go ahead and jump into the several points that I wanna make. We talked about how as we experience transformation, then we have to take this gospel to every single nation that God is calling us to go to. So the first thing is simply this, that it is God who supplies the favor. It's God who supplies the favor. I'm gonna go ahead and read, once again, Acts chapter two, verse 42 to 47. This has been our uh, theme, I guess, passage as we've been going over this series, because what we're talking about is the early church, and this was part of the vision why we started what we started. And so we're going to go ahead and just read this passage together. This is what the Word of God says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all uh, had, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So today, I want to just really focus in on verse 47 as we talk about evangelism and why that's a vital part to the vision of transforming lives and transforming the world. And as we look at verse 47, I, I want us to see how the early church engaged in evangelism. It's going to be hard to just find it from just one verse, but you got to look at the totality of the book of Acts and how the early church, as they gathered together, they were edifying one another. They were learning together. They were breaking bread in their homes, and they were doing communion together. All these things contributed to a lifestyle that actually impacted not only them, but the world around them. And so I'm going to go ahead and focus in on verse 47 for today. I want you to notice the phrase, having favor with all the people. This is very important as you look at that phrase. Because that phrase, having favor, is the same word, if you look at other translation, as goodwill. So they were having goodwill with different people around them. And that word, goodwill, comes from the word grace. So that's where we get the idea of favor. 
And that's why grace is really an undeserved favor that we receive something from God that we do not deserve. And so here in verse 47, we see right away that the way they live their lives, they're praising God, and it says, and they had favor with all the people. Now, it is simply, when you think about this idea of having favor or goodwill, it simply means that there's a favorable attitude towards those people. So when the outsiders, those who are, were not believers, those who didn't really understand the gospel, when they were looking at the believers, the early followers in this church, it says here that there was goodwill with them because of the way they lived their lives. And I think this is a very synonymous word, favor or favor with the people as being pleased. Now, let me explain how I got that. Because if you look into the Bible, you will also see that phrase where it says, for you have found favor. You'll see that at a couple different places. And in particular, I want to kind of uh, highlight this one because it is in the context of our relationship with God, as, as if God found favor with us. So if you remember the story about Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel appeared to her and she was frightened and the angel says, don't be afraid. And listen to what it says in Luke chapter one, verse 30. It says this, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for, and say this yellow highlighted with me, for you have found favor with God. So what that means is that God is pleased with you. So kind of think about this together. So this idea that being found with favor is not only something that is pleasing, but also you have to see it as it's an idea of goodwill that is given towards something or some people. Now, the important thing about this is that if you look at other translations, it will give you an idea of verse 47 that we just read. The message translation says this, as they praised God, and say the yellow with me, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their numbers grew as God added those who were saved. And listen to what it says in the voice translation, and read the yellow once again. It says, the new disciples praised God, and they Enjoy the goodwill of all the people of the city. Day by day, day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. So what, what an awesome thought. Think about this for a moment. That it says here that when people were looking at the believers, they were generally pleased or they liked what they saw. And it says here that there was goodwill. They enjoyed the goodwill of the city, the whole city of Jerusalem. When they looked at these believers, they were pleased. They were like, wow, these guys are different. There's something unique about them. Now the question is this, how did the early church find this kind of favor with people in the city? And a lot of times when we ask this question, the, the thought is, what do they do? And I want to make sure that we're clear on this because that's why the point that I want to make is that it's God who supplies and gives to us the favor. It was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because look at verse 42 to 46. And you, don't have, you can just kind of peruse through it in your Bible really quick. Because if you look at those previous verses, you will see all the things that were happening in the early church. 
as they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to prayer, they were devoting themselves to fellowship, they were devoting themselves to communion. And what we see is that it's God who's working in their lives. And as God is working in their lives, the favor of God was being evident and shown to people around them. Even in verse 43, it says, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done. So once again, you're only in awe when you realize that something supernatural is beyond yourself. Unless you're very egotistical and you do something great, you're like, wow, I'm in awe of myself. But you understand this idea of awe is because God was doing something phenomenal. It was supernatural. It was extraordinary. And that's why people were being filled with awe because miraculous signs were being done. So the favor that they earned from the city and other people wasn't so much of what they did, but it was really God working in their lives. The power of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God working in their lives and in their community. But I will be remiss if I didn't say, if you think about this, as God is working, that the people of God, they responded. So it really is both and. God working, he's the one who supplies this favor, but then we have to then respond to God in all that he has done. Whether it's praise, whether it's other things in our lives, all we have to remember is that it is not just God working, but it's the people of God responding to the work of God. That's why in verse 44 and 46, we see that they were unified and they sacrificially gave to one another. They were generous. That's the work of God. God working in them and them responding to God. And that's why we talked a lot about generosity in our church. When you're generous with your time, it's because you realize that it's not your time. It's God's time. Your time is limited. You don't know when you're going to die. It's a gift from God. So then you use that gift generously and oftentimes use it to bless people as you go out and listen to them, have coffee with them, a meal with them. But many of us, we think that it's our time. And this is the reason why we struggle so often. Same thing with our resources. Because you get up in the morning, you work, and then you receive a paycheck and you think it's yours. But it's God who gives you the energy to work. It's God who gave you that job. And so here are these people understanding it's the grace of God, the favor of God. He's the one who's supplying it into their lives. And they're just responding. They're responding by being generous. They're responding by loving one another. They're responding by being able to just praise Him and worship Him. They continue to meet in their homes because they realize how important that was. All this was happening because God was working in their lives. Their lives were literally transformed by this gospel message. And this is the only logical reason why they would do what they did. Like, why else? They weren't in, they weren't in it for popularity. They weren't in it for the money. They were not in it for the status. The only reason why they did what they did in the early church was because they experienced the gospel message and it transformed their lives. That's why if you look into the history, that you'll see many of them die for their faith during the time of persecution because they believed in this. No one was paying them off. Nobody, they, they weren't the ones who were being recognized, but they did it because they believed in this because their lives had been transformed. And as I shared earlier, this is why we have our mission statement to transform lost people into Christ's disciples 
who will then transform the world. Because once your life is transformed, you're going to want that for other people. That's why you want to see lives that are lost, that have a Christless eternity, that you want them to be found. You want them to experience who God is. You want them to experience the gospel message. And once they do, we don't just leave them there, but we understand the calling is to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, which means that that entails for us then to disciple people. That's why we, there's a heavy emphasis in our church on discipleship. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm saved now, and then I could just sit back and relax. But it's about continually, every single day, abiding and following Jesus Christ. And as you're growing, and this is something that I believe and I share this many times in our church, when you are growing in your relationship with God, then you will want to then share this message of hope and the gospel to as many people as possible. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to take a risk and say this. If some of you do not have a heart for the lost or for evangelism or for missions, those who have yet to experience the gospel message, I will seriously question your walk with God. Because some of us are just content going to church or watching a, a, a video of a sermon and thinking that we're doing okay. Or either that or we pretty much do our lip service to God, but we're the ones who we are worshiping. We are the ones who are the gods of control of our lives. Because if you really surrender yourself and your life is being transformed by the gospel, you cannot but help to get involved in God's mission, to see other lives being transformed, to take this gospel message to different nations, people who have yet to hear it. And this is one of the most beautiful things about being in Hong Kong. So many different nations are here. You don't have to go thousands of kilometers away, but right here in Hong Kong, you have people from so many different nations that are gathered. So you just have to get up and go to your work, and the nations are there. You just have to get up and go to your classes, and the nations are there. And as your life is being transformed, as God is doing that work in your life, as he's supplying this favor upon you, then we respond then by living for him. And so when people see us, they'll be like, Something's, these guys are different. Something's in these guys that I cannot explain. And that's when they will look upon us and give us favor. That's something that I'm realizing more and more, especially those of you who might be working or even those of you who are students. You know, a lot of times we think about Christianity being something as if we have to kind of be really holy, and which I think the calling is there. But when some of us think about holiness, we equate it to being weird, or I equate it to being weird. Like some of us are holy, but we're like the holy weirdos. And so no one wants to be around you. You're like in your little monk mindset. You want to climb up the mountain somewhere and just sit there and be with Jesus all day, which is great. I, I, I applaud that. But we live in this world, but we're not of the world. And I, I want to challenge some of us. Can you step into a room, in any room, whether it's a church with a lot of Christians or even at work where there's maybe you're the only Christian, can you step into a room and command attention because the favor of God is upon you? Because the way you work, the quality of work is excellent. And they're like, wow, you do great work. And you can say, yeah, like, you know, I've, I really am passionate about this. And then you can start sharing a little bit more why you're so passionate. Tied in with maybe a greater mission you have in life. 
That's why I don't get inspired by shoddy jobs or things that are not done well because it just shows me that your view of God is not that big. The reason why I'm inspired by excellence is because I believe that God is awesome and that he deserves nothing less but my best, everything that I have. And that's why sometimes this is just me personally. I get worked up when I see the world who don't know Christ do a better job in the things that we who say we know the beauty of Christ. We see his loveliness and his splendor. We're in awe and we worship him. Then shouldn't that be reflected in the kind of work that we do? The way we study. The way we finish projects in our office. Like people should be saying something like what we just read. I like what I see there. I see something in your life that's different. I might want a little bit of that. But if no one's saying that, then I think we need a heart check. I pray that all of us who are part of HMCC, that every single time you go to your office, every single time you go to a classroom, your dorm room, your apartment, even to a store, wherever you go, that people will be able to look at you and say, man, I want some of that. Like something's different about you. How about us this morning? I'm wondering, do you know that it's God who supplies the favor with other people? But we also have to do our part, but it's more of a response to what God is already doing. Are you doing your part so that people could then find favor with us? To say, hey, I want to check out your community. The way you really genuinely care for each other. I've never seen anything like that, and you guys are all different. You know, the more similarities, like the same ethnicity, same language, same personality, it's so much easier to get along. But when you're totally different and you guys still genuinely care, it must be a supernatural love. That's why I'm challenging us when we think about this favor so that we not only experience transformation, but we could transform the world. It has to be supplied by God. But as he supplies that to us, we need to then respond and live our lives so that others can see that favor that's upon us and they want part of what we have. So I'm going to ask us right now to break up into huddle groups. Like I said, we're going to try to do this so that we can kind of have nice breaks along the way so we can discuss together instead of just hearing me talk. And the two questions I have for us just to talk about is this. Why is it that Christ followers often have a bad reputation or have not won the favor of the people that they are trying to reach? Okay, this might get a little bit deep here, all right? So you can just talk about this for like 30 minutes, all right? Or even longer, all right? So I don't know about you. I mean, look at me. I, this, this is important, okay? I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to put some of you in a guilt trip. But I'm sharing from my experience. And my experience is simply, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. In fact, I was turned off by Christians. Because on Sunday, they're supposed to be holy, worshiping God. And then Monday through Saturday, they lived the way I lived. I'm like, who the heck do you think you are? So I hated hypocrites. I hated people who talk really big and live like a really bad life. I'm just like, you might as well just not even worship Jesus. I mean, now I've grown through that. I realize no one's perfect. You know, there are a lot of things that I need to work on myself. But early on, it really prevented me. I, in fact, I fell away from the Lord for about two and a half, almost three years 
because of the hypocrisy that I saw. But once again, that's not excuse for me to deal with the sins in my life and turn to Jesus. But I just use that as blaming them as I don't want to be part of this. But let's just be honest. Christians, we have a bad reputation. And why is that? And so I want us to kind of talk about that. And the second question that I want us to uh, talk about is what are some things that you can do in your context, so your workplace, school, with your family, with your friends, whatever it may be, to find greater favor? What are some things that you can do? So once again, seven minutes is not a lot of time. So just quickly, just go right into it, share some thoughts, and discuss together, and we'll bring you back. So have a great time talking together. Okay, hopefully you had a good time in your huddle group. Uh, I, I know I mean, this is the sense, like, we could have gone on for another seven minutes or another ten minutes. But one of the things I'm hoping is that as some of you are paired up in different groups, if some of the conversation kind of hits you and you're like, man, I want to I really talk more about this, and you had a good conversation or a good connection with somebody, uh, text them up and say, hey, let's grab some coffee. I, I would love to continue talking about what we just talked about. And so that's my hope and prayer, even though everything is now we're kind of semi-quarantined or now they increased it to four people. But this is great opportunity as a platform or just an avenue for us to get something started and then to follow up and share. So do that and build church and community in that way. So let me just go ahead and jump into the second point as we talked about that it is God who supplies the favor. And as he does, then we respond to it and then people will, will have favor with people as they look at us. Now I want to talk about the second point, and the second point is that it's God who saves the people. It's God who does the saving. It's not us, but it's God who saves the people. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 47b, bravo, again, so that we can understand this point. It says this, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Listen to some of these other translations. These other translations, and you could just read those couple words in the highlighted yellow. It says this, in the Amplified Version, it says, And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were, who were being saved. And the Passion Translation, it says this, And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. And the Voice Translation says this, The new disciples praise God and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people of the city. Day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. A couple things that I want you to understand here as we looked at these different translations. We see that it wasn't just a one-time thing and that was it. This is, a, this is a continuous action that God kept on adding to their number. Day by day or daily. So this was definitely the work of God, but using us, his people, to go forth into all the different places where these people were interacting with those who have yet to hear the gospel message. And so God kept on adding to their number on a regular basis. Another thing that I want you to notice is this idea of those who are being saved is this idea of what? Coming to life. That it, it, they were dead spiritually, but now they're coming to life. I think about so many people just all over there. They're, they're even in your workplaces. Some of them are in your schools. And how many of them have yet to genuinely experience 
genuine life that could transform them. Think about that for a moment. And if that doesn't move you, and that doesn't motivate you, then you're like that person who has all this food and you're enjoying yourself and there's a bunch of people looking through the window and they're starving. It doesn't move you. You're just content. You're apathetic. You feel entitled. But if you understand the gospel message, you realize you cannot be entitled because you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. So that is the reason why when you experience the gospel, when you experience God's forgiveness, when you experience God's love, you experience his mercy. The first thought is, why, God? I don't deserve this. And that's why when you look around at different people around you and the people that God has placed in your life, you're like, I don't deserve this. I don't know why I experienced it, but it's all God. And if that's the case, I want to share this with that person. That's why, as I shared earlier, those people who understand the gospel are the ones who are most excited about evangelism and about missions and about the lost. Those who are church, and for you it's just Sunday going, I will guarantee you a lot of it is just for us feeling comfortable with where we are. So this is more of a heart check for you because you could have gone to church all your life and some of you are still not saved. I know that could sound very offensive. You might have gone on a missions project. You might have done a lot of stuff, but you're still not saved. I've seen many of those types of people who come through our churches. They're youth group presidents. They served on worship teams, but they have never been saved. They're good at church, but they've never been saved. Because when you understand the gospel message, it will radically flip your life upside down. You will address issues like self-centeredness. You will address issues of apathy, laziness. We all have bouts of laziness here and there. But when you understand God's grace and mercy, you didn't deserve it, and you see a lost world, you don't just sit around. It's, It's like people who are drowning, and now you're safe on shore. You don't just look out and say, Lord bless you. You want to do everything possible to get maybe a life jacket thrown at them, or you will go in there and try to rescue. And that's why it says those people who are experiencing liberation. What a great imagery. Those who were in bondage, now they're experiencing freedom, liberation. These are the people that were being added to their numbers every single day. They were experiencing freedom. They were experiencing life. They were experiencing the goodness of God And no wonder this early group of people who call themselves Christians or Christ followers, they were so contagious. They literally were the small band of people and then it began to ripple out and they transformed that known world at that time. If you look a little bit earlier in verse 41, you will see that when people heard the apostle Peter preaching this message of the gospel, It says that they received it and then they were baptized. Listen to what it says in verse 41. It says this, They were added that day about 3,000 souls. Huh. Just from one sermon. I'm like, Jesus, if one person gets saved in my sermon, I'm like, thank you. But think about it. 3,000 people were being saved. 
They were experiencing liberation. They were experiencing life because as he was preaching the gospel message, it was the Spirit of God moving in him and through him. And so the people were then convicted of sin, not because of Peter, but because of the Spirit of God moving in their lives. So it's God who saves the people, not us. To see 3,000 people coming to Christ just from a message that just goes over Jewish history, that has to be the Spirit of God. Later on, it talks about they were cut to their hearts. They were convicted of their sins, and they repented and came to know Jesus Christ. So it's God who's adding to their number daily. Even though Peter was doing the preaching, it was God who was adding to their number. It was God's power, the Holy Spirit, that caused them to get convicted. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Mystery of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that I've been always trying to help people to understand is that there's a lot of what we do in our human effort, but man, there's a lot that's about the Holy Spirit that's beyond us. It is the power of God working in us and through us. And so listen to what he says about the mystery of the Holy Spirit. He writes this. He's referring to he being the Holy Spirit. He is intangible and invisible, but his work is more powerful than the most ferocious wind. The Spirit brings order out of chaos and beauty out of ugliness. He can transform our sin-blistered man into a paragon of virtue. The Spirit changes people. The author of life is also the transformer of life. It's the Spirit of God that transforms people. It's not us. And I think this is the reason why so many of you get frustrated when it comes to evangelism or even just discipleship. It's somehow in your mind, you know what I just read, but in the heart of your hearts, I would say many of you feel like it's really you. And this is the reason why when you have a lot of disciples and they're growing, you get very proud. And at the same time, when some of those people you're trying to disciple and spend time with and they're not doing well, you get discouraged. If you know that it's the Spirit of God doing it and you're just an instrument and you're saying, God, I will just do whatever it is that you want me to do and allow the Holy Spirit to work through me, of course, humanly speaking, we might get discouraged or we might get really excited, but bringing it back, God, it's you that changes. It's you that transforms people, not me. So why is this important? Because just from this one verse in verse 47, as we read, is that they were enjoying the favor of all the people in the city. So it was God who was supplying this favor as they were living their lives for him. But also, it was God who was saving people as they responded by proclaiming the gospel. Do you see how that works? God will work with or without us. But when he does invite us and we do our part, it's one of the most beautiful things coming together. A hammer is just a hammer unless there's a hand can use it to build great things. And that's the idea that we just surrender ourselves and we're completely saying, God, use me, whatever you want me to do. Because you're the one who saves people, not me. You are, your spirit. Look at some of these other passages about being added to their number. So, so this is what I'm thinking about. If we ever pray for our church to grow, I think that's a wrong prayer. In fact, I, I mean, there might be some 
pastors, leaders are watching this, I, I just want to be blunt with you and say, if you ever pray, Lord, uh, just grow our church or like number-wise, I don't know if it's a sinful prayer. I, I won't go as that far, but I will say it might not be the most rightly directed prayer. Because God, He will grow the church the way He wants it to grow as we are faithful to what we are called to do. What if God tells us your church is only going to be 20 people? Let's just say, are you content with that? Knowing that that is your lot, that's what God has called you to do for those 20 people. The problem with us is that we look around and we compare and we see so many other things that are going on. Think about some of the missionaries who are in the Middle East. Sometimes they don't see a convert for 10 years. 10 years. And it's so easy to look and say, oh, you're just really uh, not very fruitful. But it's the Spirit of God that changes people. It's the Spirit of God that saves so one person in the Middle East coming to know Christ from a Muslim background to maybe like 300 people in a church who has all been exposed to Christianity somehow. But it's the work of God saving people. So look at some of these verses. So I'm just going to kind of go through like some of the different chapters in progression. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4 in the NIV says this, but many who heard the message believed, and read the yellow with me, it says this, the number of men grew to about 5,000. So think about the women included, there's probably more. Acts chapter 5, verse 14 in the New American Standard Bible says this, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So do you see that? Here's chapter 4. Now in chapter 5, we see numbers are being added. It's not what they're doing. Let's come up with a great strategy to get everybody. No. As they're living out their lives, the Spirit of God is descending upon them. They're being anointed by God. We see that God is doing the work of saving. God's the one who's giving favor. So lives are being transformed, and now they're transforming the world. Acts chapter 11, verse 24, bravo. It says in the New King James Version, it says this, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So once again, many great people. That, that's, that's, that's the Spirit of God being added unto the Lord, the family of God. Acts chapter 16, verse 5 in the NIV says this, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. We just know the 3,000 or 5,000, but honestly, we don't know how many numbers. It could be one, it could be two, it could be 400, it could be 1,000. What really matters is that every single person being saved, God cares about and He knows. They're not just a number, but they are people that He has been sending some of us to because He knew them before the beginning of time. This is the reason why I want to encourage you when you think about your workplace, when you think about your neighborhoods, when you think about just in your schools, that you are not there by accident or coincidence. You got to get that out of your mind. That you are literally the person that God has sent for that person or some of those people 
in the context you're in. I mean, that will give you a tremendous sense of purpose every morning you get up as you get ready for work. Every single morning you get ready to go to classes, even though it's Zoom for now, right? Do you know that... How, how should I share this? In the last four some months, I have been on so many Zooms. I cannot even tell you how many Zooms because it's not just our church Zooms. I'm involved in a lot of, I'm Zoomed out, no pun intended. But all I can say is I am so like video conferencing, don't, do not like. I realize I like more face-to-face. And as I was thinking about this, I'm so zoomed out, but you know what? You know what the scary thing? You know what I'm talking about? Because right now, if some of you are in a Zoom right now with some other people, just, just quietly, without them even noticing, look at their faces. Like right now, some of these people look like they're going to kill somebody. Oh, oh, yeah. And they definitely look like they just woke up. You know what I'm talking about? Their hair is praising the Lord this way and, you know, all that stuff. You, you know what I'm talking about. And they're just like, ah. And all I can say is, I, I don't know, but God has to redeem even our screen. It's God who knows every single person. It's God who's saving the people. Even if it's just one, we rejoice because it's a life that's being transformed. When I think about our church and how much we have grown over the last five years, it really is a testimony to the work of God. I mean, we started a church with, what, 20 people, and then half, a third of them were all children, you know, young people, but still, we had a lot of single adults, a couple families that came together, and to, starting with two life groups on that first year, and seeing it multiply in those campuses, and then starting in other campuses, and then now seeing even the last couple of years our focus ministry growing, reaching out to those single adults in our church. When I, when I think about just the growth, like there have been a lot of strategies that we try to implement, and they sucked. Can I say that? They were horrible. We're like, why did we do that? There were other things that we weren't even like trying, and it just, just it worked. And I'm like, what, what you guys do? What you guys do? I, you know, I, we prayed. I, I, okay, I know that, but what else did you do? We were just pray. Oh, yeah, prayer. <laughs> and so unless we are fully convinced it's God who saves people, we're going to try to do all these things in our own strength and power. It's interesting that as a church, in the early church, as it was growing, you will notice the persecution was also increasing. There's something about when God does amazing things, there's a lot of opposition. That's spiritual warfare. Satan, he's not going to roll over and just let us reach out to people. So after the martyrdom of Stephen in chapter 7 in the book of Acts, you will notice that something very interesting starts to happen in the church. Those of you who understand church history, you'll understand this. Those of you who don't, you're going to understand it now. But Acts chapter 8, verse 1, bravo. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. It says, a great wave of persecution began that day. So after Stephen passed away, he was martyred. It says that a persecution began that day. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles, come on, read this with me, 
were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So I want you to understand that this is happening as the Spirit of God, as we understand it's God who saves people. That now as Stephen was martyred, they were now, uh, persecution swept over that city. And it says here that they were scattered throughout the whole region of Jerusalem, then Judea, and then to Samaria. And as they were being scattered, what did they do? That's the question. What did they do? Well, the Bible tells us. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Some of you are sitting there and like, yeah, well, that's what they're supposed to do because, you know, they're the early church and the early disciples, you know. It's easy to kind of distance yourself from this, but I want you to know that there will come a time where some of us will face persecution. I'm not going to get into political stuff, but I'm going to tell you right now, there might come a time. Some of you right now, even with your family, as you're trying to follow Christ, you're receiving persecution. They're like, why are you doing that? They're angry at you. It might even hinder your relationship with them. Some of you have friends who might not agree with you or who are like, you're different now and not in the good way because now they feel like they're losing you. And so, who are these early believers that when persecution came, they were scattered, and what did they do? They preached the gospel. Now, you could read it that way, but I like these other translations to give us a better idea. Listen to what the message translation, you guys know what that translation, that's like the hip translation. Listen to what it says. Forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all, come on, became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. And listen to what the voice translation says. All those who had been scattered by the persecution moved from place to place, and wherever they went, they weren't afraid or silent. Instead, they spread the message of Jesus. How awesome is that? This is the reason why they transformed the world, because they did not think it's just Peter, Matthew, and the apostle James. It was everybody. Every single person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, they saw themselves as a missionary. So as the persecution hit, they were being scattered all over the region and every single place that they went to, they were sharing the gospel message. Oh, what would it be like if HMCC, if every single one of us in our church saw ourselves as followers of Christ and then now on Sundays we gather, then on Monday we scatter all over Hong Kong and we see ourselves as missionaries. Because I cannot go to your office. I would like to. I would like to transform your office. I can't go to your classes because... They're going to look at me and say, you're too old. You, you, why are you here? Even though I want to go to a class and debate with your professor. I cannot go into the places that you are strategically placed in. I want to, but I can't. 
But you are there. You are the missionary. You are the person that God has ordained for you to then take what it is that he has deposited in you and the gospel message that is transforming you and then take that to these places as you win the favor of your bosses, win the favor of your colleagues, win the favor of your classmates, win the favor of your doormate so that you will be able to have a hearing about who Jesus is. Man, if our church did that, I am telling you right now, we would transform the world. We would. We gather on Sundays to celebrate all that God is doing, that on Mondays we scatter. We gather every week, and then we scatter every single week. This means that we need to die to ourselves and live for God. This means that we need to genuinely love people more than we cling on to our love for our self-centeredness. That's why if you think about Jesus' teaching, and I'm going to talk about this in the weeks to come in this new sermon series we're going to talk about, but I want you to think about this. This is important. This is the reason why Jesus Christ talked in paradoxes. He was a very paradoxical teacher. And what he did was he was talking about something, but it was really something else. There was, there was this message that you had to think about it. If you want to live, you got to what? Die. You want to be first? You got to be last. You're like, now, if you're not good at critical thinking, you'll be like, whoa, Jesus, come on now. And John Stott, captured this idea, and I think this is important. In his book, The Gospel, listen to what he says. This is awesome. This is so good. He says this, true love places constraints on the lover, for love is essentially self-giving. And this brings us to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be my true self, as God made me and meant me to be. And God made me for loving. For loving is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. It is only sacrificial service, the giving of the self in love to God and others, which is perfect freedom. How awesome is that? The world talks about, I can do whatever I want to do and I'm free. Are you kidding me? This is a paradox that John Stott is talking about. You think you're free, but you're not. Because if I tell you, stop doing the drugs, stop drinking alcohol, stop having sex, stop doing all this stuff, stop being greedy. Do you think you can just do it overnight? You can't. You are in bondage. You are free to do it, but you're actually in bondage. That's why those who are truly free are the ones who can actually stop. And that means you don't think about yourself, but you think about others. The good of others. That's true freedom. Not the freedom to do whatever you want to do, but the freedom to have constraint and to be able to say no and to say yes to Jesus. That's true freedom. That is the liberation that we see as God added to their numbers daily who are being saved, who are being set free who are experiencing life. So how does this all connect? 
Well, think about it. As we experience transformation, then we're going to go and take this gospel message to every single nation. Then we have to believe in our hearts and in our lives that it is God who will provide, who will supply us with this favor. And as we understand that, then we also have to understand it's God who will save the people. Then all we're called to do then is just in obedience, in the freedom to choose, in obedience to God, we then respond. I think this really is the gospel. Because for many of us, you understand that we were caught up in sin, and we still are. This is the reason why many of your relationships are broken. This is the reason why there's this angst in your heart and you cannot put a finger on it. It's because of the brokenness of sin in this world. And here's God wanting to show us the way to true freedom, to true life, true liberation. And he's been telling these people for so many years, but they still would not understand. So what did he do? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to actually live it and demonstrate it. And he did it ultimately on the cross, when he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. So that when he died on the cross, that should have been us hanging on the cross because that was a punishment for our sins against God. But Jesus took it upon himself. So now that when we surrender our lives, die to ourselves and say, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of all these broken things in my life. And you turn to Jesus Christ. This is when you will experience the life that he has promised unto you. And I pray that you will experience that. So the one thing, once again, is to, as we experience transformation, we must take this gospel message to every nation. Can I just quickly here um, mention some thoughts of next steps, and then I want to close out with this video. The first thing is this. As we think about what are some things in light of this message, first of all, pray for God's favor and evangelism. Pray for it. Because it's God who supplies the favor, so ask God for it. And then pray that it will be used for evangelism, for the sharing of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel message. And I want to challenge some of us to have a list of people that you're praying for. And you pray every single morning and your commute, say, Lord, help me to be a witness. Help me to find favor with people at my work. The second thing is present Christ and not yourself. So every single time you do anything, it's not about you. Present Christ. It's all about Christ. When good things happen, it's because of Christ. When you fail and make a mistake and you do stupid things, then present Christ. That's why I need him. He covers a multitude of sin. Boast about him. Talk about him. Share more about him. The third thing is this. Persuade people with God's love. You can come up with the most logical arguments, airtight arguments of the existence of God or even the problem of evil. But when the heart is hardened, no matter how logical the arguments are, they are not going to understand. The Bible tells us that people are blinded by Satan. That's why you persuade them with his love, a love of another kind that cannot be argued. I remember those testimonies of this is one person where brilliant man. I would say he's probably one of the top 10 guys that I've met in our church context. Really smart guy. And partly because, you know, he has just other things going on in his life that 
he's just really able to focus. He has almost like a perfect memory and just very smart person. And I remember that he ended up joining a book club that was sponsored from our church because people wanted to talk about the Bible and stuff. So he was going there. He found out and he decided to keep on going. Do you know why? Because he wanted to show how stupid Christians are. And sorry, but some of us, you know, we need to kind of elevate our intellectual abilities. But anyway, the problem is that he wanted to prove how dumb Christians are. They believe in this thing without any kind of intellectual understanding. So he went to this book club trying to argue with Christians and he went week after week and guess what? He ended up coming to life group. And guess what? He ended up just experiencing God's love. And guess what? He ended up becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. And we had the privilege of baptizing him and discipling and helping him to be raised up to serve God. I'm telling you right now, one of the greatest persuasive ways to talk about Christ is through his love. And lastly, is participate in God's mission. I pray that all of us will somehow be a part of God's mission. Start tomorrow morning, even today, as you have an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is. I pray that as you go to work tomorrow, as you go to school and all the other stuff that's going on in your life, may you participate in his mission. We gather today like this so that on Monday we can scatter to all the different parts and spheres of society Monday morning and we can bring transformation. Once again, today was our Sunday that we celebrate together because it's our fifth year anniversary. And we wanted to show a video that kind of summarizes our five-year journey that started just back in Michigan in the United States. And from there to coming to Hong Kong and in the last five years just seeing God transforming lives and transforming the world. I do pray that wherever you are right now, even if you're not doing very well spiritually, I pray that you will humble yourself and say, God, not only is this all you, but Lord, give me the privilege, give me the honor of participating in your work. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.